We are continuing our series, Where's Jesus, today, asking this question as we look at the scriptures, and it roots out of Luke chapter 24. It says, he, Jesus, said to them, the disciples, and remember, Jesus has risen from the grave at this point, so it's kind of crazy that he's talking to them because he was crucified not that long ago. He said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures, or as the message translates, he went on to open their understanding of the word of God, showing them how to read their Bibles this way. Meaning, he's showing them that everything in their scriptures, everything in the Bible points to him. He's sitting in a room with the disciples, and these guys, remember, they were all just like, this can't be, Jesus can't possibly be back. He had to like eat some fish and prove to them, it's me guys, I'm right here, I'm not a ghost, it's me, Jesus. And they're having a hard time believing it, and he turns to them and he says, hey, everything that's been written about me, all of your scriptures, all of your history, everything recorded, it's all been pointing to me. This is one unified story pointing to Jesus. The law, the prophets, and the Psalms. So two weeks ago, we talked about the law, Last week, Ryan gave an awesome message on the Psalms. I would encourage you to go back and listen to either or both of those if you didn't hear them because these are foundational things for our faith, important foundations for us to know about scripture and how it all connects to Jesus. And today, we're gonna round it out with the third one, the most obscure and strange one, the prophets. And maybe you are a financial person or maybe you're listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, and if that's you, we love you. Thanks for joining us sometime in the future. Enjoy your walk with your dog or your time at the gym or your drive right now. Hopefully traffic's not too bad. Um, so we, uh, you may hear prophets, and you think prophets with an F, like money. You're like, oh, here we go, another money sermon in the church. But it's prophets with a PH, this group of people in the Old Testament. To get us started on the right note, I wanna show you my favorite meme related to the prophets, which is a very niche category. Uh, congratulations, <laughs> prophets are rising. See, I told you guys a few people would laugh at that. At the 8.30, you would have just thought that it was a morgue in there. It was just <laughs> no response. But I've, I thought it was funny. So anyway, we're talking about the prophets. If you don't get that, come back on Easter of next year. We'd love to have you. Prophets with a PH. Now, if you have read the Old Testament or tried to read the Old Testament, a few weeks ago I asked how many people had completed the Bible in a year plan, and it wasn't a ton of people, and that's probably because it can be very hard to understand and get through, and most of us probably never even make it to the prophets. Or if you have, you start reading and you're like, is this Isaiah guy on drugs? What does this have to do with anything? I'm just gonna skip ahead and find Jesus wherever he is. But this series is about bringing clarity to scripture. That can be confusing and complicated to bring clarity to it. So I wanna start with some foundation um, for you, wherever you come in, to give you some understanding of the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament, the law, the prophets, and the Psalms. And I wanna show you the breakdown of the Old Testament. Now, part of the reason why it may be hard to understand the Old Testament is because we start on page one, Genesis one, God just starts mass creating everything, and read it straight through, but it starts to get complicated and confusing because we think that it's chronological, but the Old Testament's not actually laid out chronologically. So if you look, 
the first five books, these are laid out in terms of literature, okay? So these first five books in blue, Genesis through Deuteronomy, this is the Torah or the law. This is the creation story in Genesis. This is the fall of mankind. Abraham comes along. Moses, we talked about two weeks ago. Exodus, the people go out into freedom. They leave Egypt. And then we get all the law and the tabernacle, and it starts to get a little bit tough to get through. And that's why most people never make it out of the first five books to continue on. But if you do, if you're a trooper, Joshua through Esther in green here, this is the history of the Old Testament. This is the history of the Israelites, this family that started with Abraham that has grown to a nation. And now in Joshua, they make it to the promised land where God had promised they would have their own kingdom and home. And then through this history, you find just crazy stories. They have a demand for a human king and that doesn't go well overall, but you have like David and Solomon, a couple good ones, and a lot of bad kings. There's civil war, there's fighting, there's battles with other people groups. And then eventually they go into exile in Babylon, they are taken out of their home and into exile, and then they eventually make it back to rebuild, which is when all of these scriptures were put together. Now, put to, not written, but put together as the Old Testament. Okay, then we have in red here the wisdom literature, okay, poetry. We have the Psalms, like we talked about last week. Timeless, amazing things written for us to read and reflect on, and after that, we get to the prophets, and in orange, we have the section that's labeled the major prophets, and in purple, all the minor prophets, which I find to be rude to call 12 guys who lived incredibly hard lives building the kingdom just minor prophets. Like in eternity, I'm gonna be sitting at a table with them and they'll be telling some story back, but don't take my word for it because I was just a minor prophet. You know, ask Ezekiel because he was a major prophet. I'm no big deal. But these are the books of the prophets. And here's kind of the ironic thing is that the, it was a group of prophets who at the end of all of this history, when Israel was back in Jerusalem, reestablishing themselves after exile, they compiled all the Hebrew scriptures and put them together by literature section, not in chronological order, and they probably thought, well, we'll just put the best for last. We'll save the prophets for the end and everyone will get there and be so excited, not knowing that almost no one would ever get there. But we are today. We're making our way to talk about the prophets, and what I wanna show you now is a timeline of Israel's history Okay, so remember, again, this is the family that God has said, I'm going to show myself to the world through this family. I'm going to bless the world through this family from Abraham that becomes the nation of Israel. And all through their history, you can see the prophets are speaking. Some of them, like Elijah and Elisha, couldn't have more similar names. I don't know why that was the case, but they don't have books with their names attached to them, but they were prophets speaking. There are always prophetic things being said and prophets speaking on behalf of God to the Israelites, and these are the, the main ones that we know of. We put the major guys in big font just to make the minor prophets, you know, put them in their place. And so this is a timeline to show you that they were speaking throughout history. And uh, I want to, before we ask the question, where's Jesus in the prophets, I wanna ask the question, who are they and why are they? Because for most of us, we may not have a ton of understanding of who this obscure group was in the Old Testament. So the definition of prophet in Hebrew is nebi, and it is derived from the verb action to bubble forth. Okay, so like a fountain. Think of a fountain, bubbling forth. Something's coming out from within. And our English word for prophet comes from the Greek word prophets, which means to speak for another, especially one who speaks on behalf of God. And so these are mouthpieces for God, okay? We generally just think they were guys, like weird guys sitting at tables, probably looked similar to me, and just predicting the future, right? and just saying like someday this is gonna happen and uh, then it did, you know, and that's kind of what we think of them, fortune tellers. But that's an incomplete understanding. While they did speak to the future, they had a very significant role in the time and place they were in. They had a ministry that they were carrying out. 
The best kind of definition for the prophets I've heard comes from the Bible Project, that they were Hebrew poet lawyers. Okay, write that down. Think about that. Hebrew poet lawyers. Now, the poetry part, the poet part of that is what makes reading the prophets kind of difficult because they, they use all this poetic imagery. They use metaphor. They speak my love language, sarcasm, and they speak with it to the people. They, they have these weird public stunts that they do to try to catch the attention of a people that would not listen. And so in, in the context, in the culture, a lot of this would make sense, but we read it and we're like, what is this guy doing? What is he talking about? Cosmic imagery can be hard to interpret, which is why most of us kind of give up on reading the prophets. And we may have this understanding of the prophets to think, well, that sounds like a sweet gig. God downloads stuff to me. I tell everyone, they don't believe me, then it happens, everyone respects me. No, that is not how their lives went at all. They were shunned, pushed away, this minority group pushed away and everyone just said, get away from us, we don't wanna hear from you. At best, they'd be ignored the way they were treated. But they were mouthpieces for God and they spoke on his behalf and what they said could be really broken into three main categories. So you can think of it past, present, and future. If you read something they're writing, something they're saying, it's probably gonna fit into one of these three categories. The first one, speaking to the past, they would remind the people of the covenant that they had with God. These guys were obsessed with the partnership between God and his people. They were like covenant watchdogs. And they'd constantly be asking the people, hey, do you remember God? Anybody remember that guy? Remember how he led us out of slavery in Egypt? Remember how he gave us the law? He told us how to live? Remember how he has a different plan for us than any other nation that we're called to be holy and set apart? Does anybody remember this covenant? And the people would be like, what? Did you stop talking? And the prophets wouldn't back down. They'd start speaking to the present. They would start accusing and they would call to repent. Like a lawyer, they would accuse and show the people, this is how you're disobeying God. This is how you're straying away from his plan. This is how you have sinned and your disobedience. This is what's happening right now and we're pointing it out to you and there's hope. We can turn back to God. Repentance, the word repent means to turn, to turn to God. Hey, we can go back to the way that he has it laid out for us. We can go back to him. And the people would be like, can you shut up? Like seriously, stop. We don't wanna hear from you. We like what we're doing. We're doing our thing. We're justifying it. Just stop. Don't tell us what to do. So they'd speak to the future, to the day of the Lord. They would point to the day of the Lord, and there was a dark side to this. Here's what it is. A life of sin and disobedience and rebellion will always be followed by destruction. And they would tell the Israelites this. Hey, this is not going to end well. God will deal with sin. He will bring justice. And you are choosing sin and rebellion over obedience to him, and it will end in destruction. You are making a bed that you will have to sleep in someday. And they would tell the people this over and over, and the people didn't wanna hear it. They didn't like the prophets because the prophets said the things that they needed to hear, but not what they wanted to hear. It's kinda like this, here's a metaphor. Imagine there's two siblings in high school, okay? For fun, let's just say their names are Doug and Ryan. <laughs> They're high schoolers, and the older brother, in this random example, Doug, decides to throw a huge party when the parents are out of town. And let's say the younger sibling, Ryan, is not on board with this idea, okay? So the party is getting started and going, and at some point, Ryan, the younger brother, comes up to Doug and goes, hey, uh, you remember mom and dad? Remember, Kyle, they kind of have house rules? They told us not to do stuff like this, not get mixed up in a bunch of the stuff that your friends have brought into our house, and like, do you remember that? Remember their kind of plan for us and how we're supposed to operate in this house? And Doug looks at Ryan, he's like, would you shut up? You're such a nerd. 
And so then Ryan comes up later and he's like, hey, Doug, I'm, I'm looking at this party right now. This is not good. Your friend just threw up over there in dad's office. You have some people upstairs. God knows what they're doing. They just drank all of our parents' liquor. They ate all of their food. They just broke that thing that grandma gave us, that family heirloom. Like, the house is getting destroyed. Do you think maybe we should just call the cops on ourselves? Has anybody ever done that? I did that in college to a party at my own house. <laughs> Gotta get these people out of here, whatever the cost. And I didn't get in trouble. The, cops, the cop was like, hey, you know what? This was actually a really smart move and you were responsible, so. <laughs> party on. Uh, should we call the cops or should we call mom and dad and tell them like, we made a mistake, we're sorry, but we're not gonna do this anymore. We're, we're not gonna do this again. And Doug turns to Ryan and he's like, Nobody even wanted you here, you're a sophomore, just get out, just shut up, leave me alone. You can't enjoy the party, just leave. And then later Ryan's like, okay, but I am just gonna tell you, this is not gonna end well. Mom and dad are gonna come back, they're gonna find out what happened, probably gonna get grounded, no cell phone, no car, no friends, gonna be under house arrest, or they might send you to boarding school. <laughs> this is the fun job of the prophets, right? And honestly, that's a great metaphor, but it falls a little short because if that scenario actually happened, Ryan would have been in the middle of the party. He would not be the watchdog for the covenant at all. But this is what they were doing, speaking to the past, speaking to the present, speaking to the future on behalf of God to tell the people there's a plan for you and you're straying away from it. There's a life for you and you're not living it. And sin and rebellion are always followed by destruction. And thus, the Israelites eventually find themselves in Babylon in exile. They are sleeping in the bed they've made. They're thinking, my gosh, our whole story was that we were slaves and God set us free, that he got us out of Egypt and now we found ourselves back in slavery in Babylon because of our own disobedience and running from him. But here's the beautiful thing about the prophets. There is always a message of hope when they point to the day of the Lord. There is the implications of their sin but there is always the hope of a God who keeps his promises right? This is not all doom and gloom. And in their lowest moment, when they are in exile, there's a prophet Ezekiel who is there. He's, he's with them in Babylon and he's speaking on behalf of God. And here they are thinking it's over for us. We've done too much. God's finally given up on us. And here's what he says in Ezekiel 36. For I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Then you will live in the land I gave your ancestors. You will be my people, and I will be your God. Ezekiel is saying this in captivity. Meanwhile, back in Jerusalem, there's still a remnant of people there, and Jeremiah, the prophets there, are saying the exact same thing that God is going to restore here. Something is happening, and Israelites would have heard this and just been ecstatic. God hasn't given up on us. He hasn't abandoned us. If I was God, I would have a long time ago. I would have been like, you guys are the worst nation I could have possibly picked. You never listen to me. You always complain, but God is a God who keeps his promises. When he makes a promise, he will keep it. And 1,500 years before Ezekiel is saying this is when he told Father Abraham, it's this family, this nation. I will bless the world through this line and he's keeping his promise. There is always a message of hope for a people who could not keep the covenant but who have a God who kept it on their behalf. 
And through this thread, there is always the prophecy of a, mess, a messianic king, of a messiah, a savior, a liberator, someone who will come and sit on the throne and establish once and for all this kingdom of God. You can see this traced really through the whole Old Testament. If you go back to Genesis chapter three, when sin enters the world, humans decide to go against God. He lays out for them, hey, here's the consequences. Here's what's gonna happen now. And in it, he says that a man will crush the head of the serpent. Where's Jesus? Okay, then Abraham comes along. Through this family, I will bless the world. Where's Jesus? Then Moses comes along. We talked about the law two weeks ago. Listen to something that Moses said in Deuteronomy. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from their people. A greater Moses is coming. Where's Jesus? Last week, Ryan talked about the Psalms. Psalm 22, a thousand years before Jesus dies, lays out exactly the death of the Messiah who is to come. David seemed tapped into this idea of salvation, that somehow God was doing something, he was going to save his people from sin on an ultimate level, where's Jesus? And the prophets are constantly calling forth a Messiah, a savior, someone will come and save us. If you read the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which are the, the eyewitness accounts of Jesus, you'll notice there's little letters, sometimes by verses, that connect to a footnote. And those, a lot of the times, are speak, speaking back to the prophets, going back to the prophets and something they said long ago that they're now quoting and saying, and then this happened right here. In Luke chapter four, as Jesus' ministry is just starting, he goes with the crew to a synagogue, and they would read scripture, they would read from the law and the prophets and the Psalms, and he gets a scroll of Isaiah, and he reads, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, this was written 700 years before this moment, and Jesus rolls up the scroll, hands it back, and goes, and that's being fulfilled right now because that was written about me. And the people absolutely lose their minds. They, they, try to, they take him up on a cliff and try to push him off and kill him because you don't say stuff like that. You don't claim to be the Messiah. There were men who did that, who had come along and claimed to be the Messiah, and they were killed, and by the way, never heard from again. You do not say that. And Jesus just kept on saying it. No, I'm the Messiah. I'm the one that was foretold. I'm the one the prophets were talking about. He tells his disciples, I'm going to die, but relax, because I will rise. Jesus is the ultimate shot caller, right? He calls his shot. It's like the ultimate picture of a baseball player who gets in the batter's box and points his bat to center field and then just rips a home run, right? He calls his shot, but here's the cool thing. Jesus saying this, he's not just calling his shot or one shot, he is calling 2,000 years of shots that have been called by the prophets over and over again. Dozens and dozens of specific prophecies saying someday a savior is coming for mankind. He's coming from this family, but he's coming for everybody. And I wanna do a quick lightning round for you because you may hear this and be like, okay, so maybe a couple guys along the way were like, hey, someday this guy's gonna be really cool, good teacher, you should listen to a few things he says, put him on a t-shirt, call him your homeboy. This is hundreds of prophecies and I wanna read a couple of them to you about Jesus, about the Messiah. Isaiah 7:14. therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel or God with us written 700 years before the Virgin Mary gave birth to Jesus. 
Micah 5, 2. But you, Bethlehem Ephratah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. This is written about the same time, 700 years before by Micah, who is calling the little town of Bethlehem where the Messiah will be born. Genesis 49.10, the scepter will not depart from Judah nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until he to whom it belongs shall come and the obedience of the nations shall be his. This is way back when this nation is first forming and there's 12 tribes named after the sons of Jacob and there's one tribe called Judah and they're saying the Messiah, the king who's really gonna come and liberate the ultimate king, he's coming from this family line. And then they get more specific, Isaiah 9-7. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. They are saying from David's family tree, this will be a descendant of King David. So you read the Old Testament and you're like, why all these genealogies? It's just name after name, the son of this, the son of this, it's skip, 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 right? These people were obsessed with that and you find out in Matthew and Luke, at the very beginning, they lay out these genealogies because they are showing that the Messiah, that Jesus himself was born from the exact family line, the son of, the son of, the son, all the way to him from the line of David. Now there's tons of prophecies about the things that would happen when this Messiah was walking around. When Israel was a child, I loved him and out of Egypt, I called my son. So when Jesus is very little, his surrogate fill-in dad, Joseph, had just the weirdest job of all time, has to get him and Mary out to Egypt to escape because Herod's trying to find this baby that these wise men from the east came to worship and kill this baby. And so he has to take them to Egypt. And then, just as God called the Israelites out of Egypt, he calls his son out of Egypt and back into Jerusalem, just as Hosea had prophesied. Isaiah 9, 1 through 2. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. And 700 years after that was written, the disciples and the people around are saying, a light has dawned in Galilee of all places. Zechariah 9.9, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. This is Palm Sunday, prophesied over 500 years before Jesus makes his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Zechariah 11, 12 through 13. I told them, this is in narrative form. If you think it best, give me my pay, but if not, keep it. So they paid me 30 pieces of silver. And the Lord said to me, throw it to the potter the handsome price at which they valued me. So I took the 30 pieces of silver and threw them to the potter at the house of the Lord. This is a guy centuries before Judas betrays Jesus calling the shot of the exact amount of money that Judas would be paid for betraying Jesus and then calling what happens when he goes back and throws the money back into the temple. Zechariah 12.10. I think Zechariah should be a major prophet, by the way. This guy was awesome. And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and supplication. They will look on me, the one they have pierced, and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and grieve bitterly for him as one grieves for a firstborn son. Prophecies that start talking about the death, the suffering of this Messiah, of this servant, like Ryan read last week, Psalm 22. Maybe you got goosebumps hearing what David wrote a thousand years documented before Jesus is crucified, laying out exactly how it happens. And we also have Isaiah 53, 
which we're going to read. Another passage that speaks to the death of this suffering servant. And remind you, these are written hundreds and hundreds of years before crucifixion was invented as a means to kill somebody. Isaiah 53, who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of the dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before its shearers is silent so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away yet who of this generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. He's killed. For the transgression of my people he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great and he will divide the spoils with the strong because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. So you now have read more of the prophets than the majority of human beings on the earth. Congratulations. Over 700 years before this happens, Isaiah is laying out not only the death of this Messiah, but that death was never going to hold him. Just as Hosea says, Hosea 6.2, on the third day, he will restore us that we may live in his presence. Hosea 13.14, I will deliver this people from the power of the grave. I will redeem them from death. Where, O death, are your plagues? Where, O grave, is your destruction? Jeremiah 31.31, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. All laid out hundreds and hundreds of years before it all happens. So I just read 13 passages of prophecy to you. And there are dozens more major prophecies that Jesus fulfilled. You might hear all this and be skeptical, like, okay, maybe there's some coincidence here. Maybe this guy read this stuff early on, he learned it in school and just thought like, I'm gonna just go try to fulfill as many of those as I can so people think I'm the Messiah which wouldn't really work as an argument for the things that were out of his control if he was a mere man, like where he was born, what family line he came from, but maybe there's just some coincidence to this whole thing. So listen to this. Someone took eight of the major prophecies about Jesus and calculated the math behind one human being fulfilling all of them. They calculated the probability of someone doing that as one in 100 million billion. You can read about this in the book, The Case for Christ, if you want to look more into it. It's a brilliant book. And he writes, the mathematician calculated that if you took this number, 100 million billion, of silver dollars, so most of you only know what cryptocurrency is, it's like bigger than a quarter. <laughs> if you took this number of silver dollars, they would cover the state of Texas, very nice that they chose our state, the state of Texas to a depth of two feet. The whole state covered in silver dollars 
to a depth of two feet. If you marked one silver dollar among them and then had a blindfolded person wander the whole state and at some point bend down and pick up one coin, what would be the odds he'd choose the one that had been marked? The same odds that anybody in history could have fulfilled eight of these prophecies. There's a mathematician named Peter W. Stoner who computed the probability of fulfilling 48, 48 of the prophecies that Jesus did as one, and then the word trillion 13 times. All to say, a mere man, by effort, could not fulfill these prophecies. Unless this was not a mere man, but it was indeed the Messiah, God in the flesh, the one who was prophesied and the one who came. And here he is in Luke 24, sitting with his crew. And he's kind of, I picture him kind of being like, hey guys, this shouldn't be that hard for you to believe. First of all, I told you this was gonna happen. And I'm here right now. Remember how I was dead? I'm not, right? But your prophets have been telling you this for hundreds and hundreds of years. The Messiah was gonna come. And if you have questions about the gospels, okay, so Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, this is where these eyewitnesses come together. Luke, the gospel of Luke, he was like a journalist coming together to hear the stories and the eyewitness accounts and put this all together. Who was this Jesus that they're claiming to be the Messiah, that have all these footnotes pointing back to prophecies that are saying this is the Messiah. He was dead and now he's not. He came to pay for our sins and he has set us free. And these are documented in the Gospels. If you have questions about the validity of the New Testament or the Gospels, here's a bonus little piece of information. A professor named F.F. Bruce in England set out to investigate the validity of the New Testament, starting with the Gospel accounts, proclaiming Jesus as the Savior of the world and the foretold Messiah, and concluded in his book, which is called The New Testament Documents, Are They Reliable? That quote, there is no body of ancient literature in the world which enjoys such a wealth of good textual attestation as the New Testament. Indeed, compared to all other writings from that era of history, the New Testament scriptures are the most valid and trustable of all. And so, if you wanna throw out the New Testament, throw out the Gospels and say this whole thing was a fairy tale, it was made up, you also have to throw out everything documented from that entire era of history. You can't believe in the Roman Empire anymore because the most valid documents we have are the New Testaments, and here's the claim they made. This is not a fairy tale. This is not a myth. This is the Messiah, and he has come. This man came here, and he claimed to be the one foretold, and he was killed just as Isaiah said he would be, and he rose from the graves just as Hosea said he would be, and he has come to set all people free. The blessing has come through our people for the entire world. He has fulfilled the law, the prophets, and the Psalms. He is the Messiah, the Savior of the world. And Jesus unfolds that to all of them sitting in this room. And then listen what Peter goes and says in his very first sermon. Remind you, this was... This, this Jewish kid, obnoxious fisherman that Jesus befriended. He's the guy who denied Jesus. When he heard that Jesus was back, didn't believe it. And he sits in a room with Jesus and Jesus opens his mind to understand that he was the Messiah. And he goes out then with these guys and risks his life to tell the world that the Messiah has come. You don't go risk your life for a dead guy who claimed to be the Messiah and is still dead. And here's what Peter says in his first sermon. Now, fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance. He's talking about them killing Jesus, as did your leaders. But this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Messiah would suffer. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything 
as he promised long ago, through who? His holy prophets. For Moses said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from their people. Indeed, beginning with Samuel, all the prophets who have spoken have foretold these days. He's like, guys, we are living in these days that were foretold to us. And you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, through your offspring, all peoples on earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. Here's this uneducated fisherman, and he sounds a little bit like a prophet of old, right? Pointing to what God has done. Remember Abraham? Do you remember Moses? Remember Samuel? Remember all the things that were told to us? And right here and now, you killed this Jesus guy because he claimed to be the Messiah, but he's not dead. So turn, repent, turn to him because he has made a new covenant and it is written in his blood and sealed by his resurrected spirit. And then he points to the day of the Lord that we await when Jesus shall return. And when Jesus calls a shot, you can trust him. And so I know today, this is a lot of information. This is a very intellectual conversation. May not be your favorite sermon because it wasn't about you, but it was about Jesus. And here's what I hope, that you see the beauty and detail of your God. That you see a story that was lined up through the prophets of old, through history that say, he's coming, he's coming, and here's how it's gonna unfold, and that it has. And that he came for you personally, to set you free. That he was pierced for your transgressions, crushed for your iniquities, and that he rose to give you eternal life. And when you look into all of this, scriptures, but also outside of it, of history and archeology span and all the things that are laid out, if you actually give it a fair shot, there's no question about whether Jesus existed. Nobody's questioning that. The question is whether he was the Messiah. And I believe if you look into this for yourself, you actually have to have more faith to not believe that Jesus was the Messiah than you do to believe that he was. And I think that's what the disciples finally grasped because they saw it up close and they went and risked their lives. And 2,000 years on the other side of the world, we're still talking about this guy who claimed to be the Messiah, who opened up a scroll and said, that was written about me, who went to a cross and it's documented in history, was crucified and who rose from the grave as told in the most valid documents we have from that era of history, foretold by the prophets, confirmed by the disciples who went and planted the church that we are a part of today. And so here's my hope for you. First, that your faith is built today, that you see that this is not some sham, some fairy tale, some myth, but you see the intricacy and detail of your God and that it builds your faith, that he has laid this out so that we could find him in the story. And I hope that you see the beauty and the power and the pattern of the prophets in your personal life. There's been so many times in my life, maybe in dark moments where I had to first be reminded of the covenant that Jesus has made, that this has not been because of us, that this covenant isn't dependent on us, but that he sealed the covenant by what he did that we could never do. And I have to be reminded of that because it's so easy to think like, well, that can't be for me, especially when you're in moments where you feel like you're in your own personal Babylon, in exile, surely God's done with me. No, no, no. Be reminded of the covenant that Jesus made, the Messiah, the suffering servant who came for you. And for some people, maybe it's just needing a little lawyer in your face to say, hey, there's some stuff going on right now that's not abundant life and freedom that God has for you. Hey, just so you know, sin and rebellion always are followed by destruction. And maybe you need to hear that today, some tough love. And we all need to point to the day of the Lord to know that Jesus is coming and it has been foretold for centuries and centuries, all the way back to the prophets, told by Jesus himself, confirmed by John, that he will return. 
that there is a new Jerusalem awaiting us where there will be no more sin and no more pain and no more death, no more tears, but he will come and make all things new. And when you know that, you live with urgency. You live with urgency in your faith because you want more and more of Jesus, your Savior and your Messiah living through you because there are more and more people who need to know that this is not a fairy tale. This is history. This is our Messiah. This is our Savior. This is the blessing that has come for the world. And maybe you're in here and you're somebody that's never put your faith in Jesus, always thought this whole thing's a sham. Maybe today you're realizing, maybe there's something happening in your mind to understand that this is real. But here's what I've been praying all week, that your mind would connect to your heart because God has come for your heart. You can have all the knowledge of the world, but that doesn't necessarily push you to put your faith in Jesus as your savior. It's your heart when you open it to him and he wants it to beat with his resurrected life. And here's what I have to tell you. You cannot call Jesus something that he did not claim to be. He did not claim to just be a good teacher. He didn't claim to just be a prophet. So don't call him that. Don't just include him a little bit in your journey of life because that's not what he came to, here to be and that's not who he said he was. He said, I am the Messiah. I am the Savior. C.S. Lewis famously says, Jesus was either a liar, a lunatic, or he was Lord. And you have to decide which one of those for yourself. And everything points to the reality that he is Lord. So I wanna invite you to stand to your feet. And we're gonna sing Reign Above It All. We're gonna sing All Hail King Jesus songs that call him who he is, the King and the Messiah. And I believe that hearts are going to connect to minds as we worship. But if you close your eyes, I just wanna ask and offer this. I believe there's some people in this room that maybe you have just never called Jesus who he is, your savior. Maybe you've never put your faith in him. Maybe you've never called him savior. And today, whether it's some facts and some information, it's the unlocking of the scriptures. Maybe it's nothing I said this whole time. It's just that your heart has been beating and it won't stop beating because Jesus is calling to you. Today is your day of salvation your journey of Jesus beginning. So I just wanna invite you, if that's you, would you just put your hand in the air? There's nothing magical about raising your hand. It's an outward expression to signify what's happening internally. For those of you with your hands in the air, first of all, church, can we make some noise for family putting their faith in the savior of the world? If that's you, today you are met with an invitation of love with the grace of Jesus who died for your sins and eternal life that he rose for you to have. And I'm gonna pray and I'm gonna just put some language out there for you to communicate to your God in your day and your moment of salvation. And I want you to know that you're not walking this alone. This is a family. We have a bundle for you out at the, the Merch Mart where you can get a Bible and a starter pack. We want you to have all the tools to walk in relationship with Jesus and to know him more and more, your savior. So pray with me. Jesus, I thank you for your grace. I thank you for the forgiveness of my sins through your blood. And today I call you Savior. I call you Lord. I thank you, God, that you have laid out so many pictures and so many details, so many hyperlinks to show us that you are indeed our Savior. You are indeed our Messiah. And Jesus, I thank you for people in this room who are putting their faith in you today, the author and perfecter of their faith, the Alpha and the Omega, the Messiah who was foretold and who came and fulfilled all of it. 
was killed and rose from the grave. And I thank you that we get to come together as a family and celebrate that all the time. Thank you for what you're doing in this church. Thank you for what you've done today. In Jesus' name, let's worship. Thank you.